Well, good morning. Got a number of announcements uh, for you this morning. Uh, one is a reminder that the uh, Pray for America prayer rally uh, is next Saturday, 9 o'clock in the morning. It's going to be held, I believe, in the parking lot of the um, Greensboro County High School. hope many of you can come. Um, churches throughout the, uh, the county of Green County will be participating, and I've been invited to participate as well. Uh, for those of you who have been intending to make a donation for the Hometown Heroes, um, I know that Doug and Jean Hesse are liking to get those donations in by the end of this month. Uh, so this will be your final week. You can drop off a donation at Bank South or just give them a call and they'll, they'll tell you what to, what to do about that. Uh, you'll note as well, this is the last week we have to be collecting change for the baby bottles for First Call Pregnancy Center. Uh, so being working away, adding change, or just go ahead and add tens or $5 bills, $20 bills, whatever you want to put in uh, those baby bottles. Now, we've begun the nominating process for uh, elders and deacons. Uh, there, there is a brochure that I believe back there in the narthex that you can take to make nominations, or you can call in those nominations for, for both elders and deacons. Let me tell you, we really do need, we need nominations for deacons. I think that we have five uh, spots that we're going to have to fill. So certainly have that in mind. And then uh, I assume, what, uh, did everyone get their surveying from the uh, search committee that went over out uh, this week? That's for anyone, my understanding is for anyone to fill. So you don't have to be a church member uh, to fill those out and church you're saying that's okay, yeah. Anyone can fill those uh, out, and um, they appreciate uh, getting that information back from you. And then, not this coming Thursday, but the next Thursday, is the, the premiere of Sing Along with Amy on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock. And um, I know that uh, it's not much fun with mass singing uh, a verse or two here in the church. Well, you can sing out as loud as you can, and you can sing your favorite songs without mask at home on Thursday nights. We're going to be live streaming. Amy will be here with some of the choir members, and she wants to, we want to hear from you what songs you want to sing. So just email them into the church or call Yvonne or whatever. And starting Thursday, September the 3rd, the first sing-along with Amy. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship.
call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 61. Hear God's word. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Let's stand together and continue our worship. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who, for us and for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he arose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. 
And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father, we do give you praise that you are the one who dwells in heaven, that you live in a high and a holy place, and yet you dwell with those here on this earth who are contrite in spirit. And we pray that uh, as we come, that we will worship and honor uh, the name of our great God, that we would so treat it as the holy name that it is, that we, our Father, would be those who have come here not only with our, with our minds and in, in reading the materials and, and, and going through the motions of worship, that we ourselves, by your Spirit, would feel your, your being, your presence here, feel its holiness that is about us. Our Father, it's just so easy for this world to be too much with us and too much about us. We pray that by your Spirit, that you would lift up our, our thoughts, our souls, up into that uh, heavenly temple of yours, where all your angels are there and they cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy. We pray for your kingdom to come. We pray for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that we will be found faithful in the service of his kingdom. We pray this for ourselves individually. We pray this for our church, for Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. Be found faithful in our testimony and witness for you in our community. Whether it be here at this site and the, the proclamation of your word here in this sanctuary, or whether it be that each of us as members of this church going back into our homes and communities and our workplaces and schools, that we will bear witness for the name of Jesus Christ. We pray, our Father, for our sister churches in this area. Thank you for those that with a, with a devotion, again, for declaring the gospel of Christ to others, and we pray for their effectiveness. We pray for the uh, prayer rally that we'll be having next Saturday, that it will be a, a time of bonding, of unity for the churches. We pray that you will hear the prayers that we will offer up to you together for our land, for this country. And we do pray for your blessings, for your mercies upon our nation. And uh, we, we pray for peace. We pray for unity. We 
pray for an end to this pandemic. Our Father, we uh, lift uh, before you uh, the ministries uh, that are carried out in our community. We do think of First Call Pregnancy Center for their ministry to uh, to women who who are feeling anxious, are feeling anxious uh, because uh, of their pregnancies. And we pray uh, for them, for these women, for this ministry to them, that here they will find hope and encouragement through this ministry, that they will find the hope that is in Jesus Christ. We pray, our Father, for our church officers. We lift our elders, our deacons before you. Thank you for these shepherds and servants of the church. Pray that you would raise up uh, new elders and deacons, uh, that you would give them uh, the gifts of the Spirit that are needed to care for this flock. We pray, our Father, for our search committee. Uh, We lift up our brothers and sisters as they have begun meeting, as they are seeking to all the more to understand and discern your will uh, for this church who that servant is to be who will come and shepherd this flock. So we pray your guidance of them. Our Father, we pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that we, your church people, those who are known by the name of Jesus Christ, will model what it is to know your will and to do that will. So we pray for you to give us wisdom and pray that for you to give us courage. We pray that you would give to us our daily bread. We especially pray that you would feed us upon your word this morning. Feed our souls, our spirits, that we may go forth nourished in our faith, that our hope will be strengthened when we leave this sanctuary. We pray for your provisions for us, for our daily needs, for the literal bread that we need upon our tables. We thank you for the farmers who grow our crops, for the ranchers. We pray for them and and pray for your watch and care over them, your provisions for them. Our Father, we pray for our health, well-being. We thank you uh, for the medical communities, the doctors and nurses and others who uh, provide medical care for us. We especially lift them up in this time of the pandemic just to hold them up physically and uh, to guide them as they seek to provide care for us. Our Father, we pray for the forgiveness of our debts, which are many, and we pray that you would give us a spirit, your spirit, to forgive the debts of others towards us, which are few. We know that we not loved you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. That we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And we thank you for that forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray for that work of your spirit to sanctify us to all and more to live for you. We pray, our Father, that we not be led into temptation. All the more that you would deliver us from the evil one who seeks to draw us into temptation, to draw us away from you, protect us from uh, his, his wiles, his attacks against us, protect us from the temptations of this world, 
Protect us from being the fears that are of this world. All these things that would draw us away from you. Protect us from our own weak flesh. And our Father, we make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom. And we pray for the continuing spread of that visible kingdom upon this universe. And looking to the time that all things will be brought under your feet. We acknowledge that to you belongs the power, that all things are sustained by your power. We acknowledge to you is all of the glory, that we have been created for that very purpose, to glorify our great God. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or you can use the uh, church insert 
to, um, to our text, which is Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20. Let's see if you recognize the opening part of this song, of this poem. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed. And everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. It was written by W.B. Yeats, I think around 1919 or 1918. And he had plenty to think about when he wrote those lines. Uh, it was right after the aftermath of World War I. He was an Irishman. His uh, land was uh, just then beginning the War of Independence at that time. Now, you might have been thinking of the Spanish flu pandemic that was raging at that moment, probably particularly because his own pregnant wife had caught uh, the flu and had nearly died. And so Yates is thinking, he's looking about, things are falling apart. You know, there was a rising interest at that time in the, in the second coming, and he actually named his poem The Second Coming. But Yeats's fear was just what that second coming was to be. What was on the horizon uh, for this world? Well, do you have the same fears? Are you fearful in this turbulent time? Do you wonder who it is that can make a promise that can be trusted? In what and in whom can we find our anchor of hope? Well, the author of Hebrew has an answer in our text this morning. Now, let's recall the context of it. The author has been chastising his readers. He's been chastising them for stunted growth in their faith. They're not growing. He has warned them in no uncertain terms of the dire consequences that they should fall away. And then he softens. He tells them that he feels uh, sure of better things for them. He can, he can see fruit in their lives. It's displayed in the love that they show to one another. And he, and he assures them that God does take notice of such things. He really does want them to have full assurance of hope for their future. And that's why he ends that text exhorting them to imitate the saints of faith who, as he says, through faith and patience inherit the promise. That's what it's about. The promises of God. That is what he said moved the Old Testament saints and that is what should move his readers. So let's look now at our text. With Hebrews Chapter 6, beginning with verse 13 to 15. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. 
Now, that promise specifically for Abraham was his son Isaac, in whom Abraham, in a sense, received Isaac twice. There was the the birth of Isaac, and then there was the receiving back, in a way, of Isaac on the Mount Mount Moriah, where Abraham had taken Isaac to slay him. So Abraham had waited patiently for 25 years for the birth of Isaac. He waited a heart-wrenching three days on his march to Mount Moriah to get his son back. But however long Abraham had to wait, however painful that wait might have been, the point is that God came through with his promise. And what the author here is really trying to drive home is not about how patient Abraham was, but the length at which God went to give assurance to Abraham. God condescended to back up his promise with an oath. Now, we know Jesus' admonition to let our yes be yes, and our no be no, that we're not, we're not to be swearing by anything. Just let, We should not need an oath to make ourselves keep our word. Well, all the more, of course, with God. But it is for the sake of Abraham that God will condescend to swear an oath. Now, the catch for God is this, that when we swear an oath, we do so by an authority greater than ours. We might place our hands on the Bible that represents God and and swear before God that we will keep our promise. Well, God, of course, has no one greater than himself. So he swears by himself. Now, we might be wondering, well, what's the point of adding an oath, particularly in which God has to just hold himself accountable to it? Well, let's continue on in our text to understand more. Getting in verse 16. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, and I'm going to stop there in mid-sentence. Note here, he says, the oath adds an extra unchangeable assurance to Abraham. First of all, there's that promise to Abraham, and noted about the promise is that the promise itself is a, it's God's plan, it's God's purpose that he has decided upon. It is what God has determined to do. And what God decrees must be done. We have a couple examples of this, human examples in the scriptures to help us understand this. In the book of Daniel, You have King Darius, he's tricked into declaring a decree that ends up with his friend Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. That's against Darius' desire. But once the decree has has been spoken, it has to be carried out. Darius cannot even go back on his own decree. Or in the book of Esther, we have King Artaxerxes. He is tricked into declaring a decree for the massacre of the Jews 
and not knowing that his queen uh, was a Jew. Well, he cannot revoke the decree. He has to issue another decree that allows them to defend themselves. But he can't just change his mind. So, and likewise, God has made a promise to Abraham. He has made a decree, and that cannot be changed. Now, that promise alone, that is enough to its being carried out as an assurance, because, particularly because of God's sovereign power. However, for the benefit of Abraham, God goes the added length of swearing an oath by himself. Now, what's significant about that? Well, for God to swear by himself is for him to make an oath before himself that he is not lying. And God, because of who he is, he cannot lie. He cannot go back on his word. His very nature of being God makes lying impossible. And so, again, by two unchangeable things, Abraham could be assured that God would keep his promise. There was the decree itself, which could not be changed. There was the oath that cannot be broken. And so this condescension of God that was given to to add assurance to Abraham, what the author is saying, that should be your assurance as well. Well, assurance for what? Well, let's continue in our text. We pick back up again in verse 18. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I want you to note here how the author identifies himself and his readers. We who have fled for refuge. There was a provision in the Old Testament law for manslaughter. Let's say Levi kills Benjamin by accident, he claims. Well, Benjamin's brothers want to avenge their brother's death by killing Levi. Well, Levi flees to a city that has been marked out as a city of refuge. And once he is there, Benjamin's brothers cannot touch him. Levi is accorded a fair trial. Now, if he's found guilty of premeditated murder, he's put to death. But if it's ruled as an accident, he, he can remain there in that city as a place of refuge. And uh, Benjamin's brothers cannot touch him. And he can stay there as long as the, whoever the high priest is at that time until he dies. And once the high priest dies, he actually can go home again in safety. Now, it appears also that when one would flee to the city, there was an altar there, probably has kind of horns on those altars, and what he do? He would flee there, and he would hold fast to that altar. That was his way of coming and seeking protection, seeking refuge. 
So with that in mind, again, our author, he's identified himself and his fellow Jewish believers as those who have fled for refuge. And no doubt his readers who are Jewish believers, they have this imagery in mind. And he's saying, you come to the city and you hold fast. You hold fast to the hope that is set before us. And that hope is none other than their high priest, Jesus Christ. He is their hope. He is their hope who has already entered into the inner place behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies. He is there before the mercy seat of God, interceding for his people. And they can know this. They can know this because of the promise made by God, whose promise cannot fail, who cannot lie. And they can have assurance of this hope because it has been founded already on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It has been demonstrated by his resurrection. And they can know that he has ascended on high, that he again, he's there in that heavenly temple as their high priest. He is, he is their high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Which, by the way, that's the third time that he mentions this being a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Next chapter, we'll finally find out who this Melchizedek guy was. But meanwhile, our author is pressing upon his readers that this hope, which is founded on the person and work of Jesus Christ, it is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So that leads to a question for you. Is Jesus Christ your sure and steadfast anchor for your soul? Now, I want you to think seriously about this question because you can believe in Jesus to be your Savior. But still, is he your soul's sure and steadfast anchor? Is he the sanctuary to whom you have fled for refuge? Let's think about this. For Jesus to be that, for him to be your refuge and your anchor, you have to first of all have a desperate view of your position. Now, I'm not referring to about how you're feeling about what's going on today, about the chaotic circumstances of this world. I'm not referring to what might be going on in your personal life I'm not talking about a a marriage that's gone bad or a family broken up or some terrible illness. I'm speaking of the position of your soul before God. For Jesus to be your refuge and your anchor, you must first understand your soul's desperate plight without him. Your small boat is nearing the edge of Niagara Falls. And only the sure and steadfast anchor of Jesus Christ can keep you from going over. Or go to the other imagery, no less than the demons of Satan are after your soul. And only Jesus can be your needed refuge. You have to go and lay hold of him alone. That your position must move you to action. You must lay hold of that anchor. You must secure it tightly and then throw it overboard till it goes to the bottom of the riverbed. You cannot leisurely contemplate how effective that anchor might be 
if you choose to use it. You cannot lower it gently kind of part way to see how it's going to work halfway down. You cannot have a loose knot in case you want to be free from it. Or back to our other imagery, you must flee to your refuge as though your life depends on it because surely it does. Well, have you done so? Or have you kept Jesus, you kept Jesus on hand, so to speak? You like some of the things he teaches? You agree mostly with the values of his people? But no, if you're honest, you've never felt never felt desperate about your position before God, at least not in such a way that you needed to hold fast to Jesus as your, your only hope. Well, if that's the case, you don't understand what this scripture is teaching. Well, here's another test. You have turned to Jesus, but do you continue to hold on fast? See, now we're getting to what the the real concern of our author was for his readers. They were tempted to hedge their bets on Jesus. They, they had turned to Jesus. They believed that he was the Messiah, but just in case, maybe we need to continue observing the law just to be safe with God. What well, do you do the same? You can easily find out by answering that famous EE question from Evangelism Explosion. If God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? Now, if you responded that you believe in Jesus and, well, right there, right there you've been caught. You've given it away. You might say, I believe in Jesus and I try to live a good life. I believe in Jesus and I I attend church. I believe in Jesus and I, I try to do a lot of good works. And you may be very well honest about believing in Jesus. But as long as you have this and, then he is not your soul's anchor. He is not your soul's refuge. And let's consider this matter about the soul. There are many people who turn to Jesus as their anchor and refuge for their personal troubles. But it is your soul that is in greatest trouble. Now, I don't want you to to misunderstand. Many people have turned to God, have turned to Jesus because, you know, their marriage was going bad and it saved their marriage. Their, Their family was breaking apart and it brought their family together. They were ill, they were dying and and God, God healed them. And God often uses physical crises to turn people to him. But what matters is that those crises awaken them to their spiritual crises. The position of the soul before God for eternity is what matters. To be under God's wrath rather than his mercy is the great crisis. Now, do you understand that? Do you understand your desperate plight in that regard and that only Jesus can be your anchor to prevent your destruction? That only Jesus can be your refuge to whom you must flee? Well, I tell you, if Jesus is your anchor and refuge, even as what I'm saying now, 
You feel it. You feel the blessing, the thankfulness of, of God's mercy, of the security that you have in him. Well, let's say now you pass the test on all of these accounts. You had recognized your, your plight. You did flee to Jesus for refuge. Well, again, getting to what our author is concerned about, will you continue to hold fast to Jesus through the storm? What if your marriage is not only tested, but it falls apart? What if your children reject you? What if your loved one, who is godly, of strong faith, suffers and dies? What if you suffer financial collapse? What if, and then you fill in the blank, whatever it is that would scare you the most, will you remain faithful to Jesus? Will you still hold fast to him as your soul's anchor? Will you still flee to him as your refuge? Will you, as it says in verse 11, have the full assurance of hope until the end? We believe in God's promise. Even as Abraham was taking his son up to, to Mount Moriah, we still believe. We patiently wait on that promise of receiving your inheritance all the way to your deathbed. Will you place your hope on Jesus? Keep it on Jesus. Whatever frightening, whatever discouraging, painful wave rolls over you. Or will you let slip the knot that was holding you to the anchor? Or will you run out from under your refuge, giving up hope and faith? There are many who are out there who had been strong confessors of Jesus and have left because they were not ready for those storms. Or maybe you would not be so blatant. You would not deny your Savior. You still come to church, but you're no longer so fanatical about him either. You become more broad-minded. You're more accepting of, of other perspectives. Or you could be this way. You can let your fears get the best of you about your standing before God. And so you hedge your bets. You try hard. I need to try harder to be good enough, to be fruitful enough. Maybe if you can just pray harder with more intensity or just you just can be nicer or maybe it'd be good to have more rules to follow to, to keep you on that right path. Now, Arthur is saying, get rid of all that and hold fast. Hold fast to the promise of God to save you and to keep you in his hands. Do not hold on to your determination to be a better person. Do not hold fast to some goals that you have set for yourself. You know, I understand the concept of that book that was so popular a while back, The, the Purpose-Driven Life. But what we need to understand is that the real calling, the real answer for the Christian is to have a promise-driven life. And if we want to be promise-keepers, we must above all be promise-believers. Hold fast to Jesus as your anchor and refuge. Peter. Peter held fast to his love for his Lord. 
and he failed. He should have held fast to his Lord's love for him. He should have fled to him, to Jesus, for refuge from Satan. You know, Peter kept his eyes on Jesus and he walked on water. And when he turned his eyes to the stormy waves, he sank. The same holds true for our soul. It is Jesus alone who saves. Jesus alone who holds us up. You know, we have no guarantee what is going to happen in this world. Pandemics, riots, social upheaval, values being turned upside down. We have no guarantees that everything is going to turn out okay. And no matter what does happen, death is the reality that faces every one of us. But we have one assurance, and it is the greatest assurance of all. That whatever happens in this world, we may have a sure and steadfast anchor for our souls. We have a refuge to whom we may flee for the eternal salvation for our souls. There is the resurrection of our bodies that will take place. There is the inheritance of eternal glory in our resurrected bodies, in which we be living on a new glorious earth where God will dwell on his throne with the Lamb. This is our hope, and this is our sure inheritance. We will but hold fast to Jesus as our anchor, our refuge. This is the hope set before us by our God, whose promise cannot And we thank you and praise you, our God, for your promise and for this hope that you have given to us that is in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. On nothing less. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.